Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs, the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Welcome to episode 85 of the Healthy Gut Podcast. I'm so excited to be bringing this episode to you today as it's a subject that's very close to my heart and that is the new SIBO biphasic diet that's suitable for vegetarians and vegans. Now I was vegetarian for seven years and went back to eating meat just prior to my SIBO diagnosis and I remember at the time thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm eating meat again. I don't know how I would do this diet without it. Dr. Narala Jacobi is the creator of the biphasic diet and working with dietitian Anne Kreiner, they had many patients say to them, what do you do for SIBO patients with that don't eat animal meat and protein? And so they developed the vegetarian version of the biphasic diet. So I hope you enjoy today's episode as we talk all about what the diet is, what it incorporates, what are some of the differences to the original biphasic diet and how you might like to implement it. And don't forget, guys, if you would like to get the free transcription from today's episode, all you need to do is become a member of the Healthy Gut Podcast. You just do that by heading to the healthygut.com forward slash podcast, signing up, and then you will receive an email every week when a new episode airs, and that will give you a link to all of the transcriptions from season three. I hope you enjoy today's episode, guys. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast, Dr. Narala Jacoby and Anne Kreiner. It's wonderful to have you on the show today and talking all about your brand new vegetarian SIBO biphasic diet. So welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. This is a diet protocol that I have been looking forward to for, and we've been discussing for some time, um, but I was vegetarian for many years and I reintroduced meat, not because of my SIBO diet, but, but prior to it, I realized that I wasn't doing as well with a very plant-based diet. And I think that's quite a common experience, <clears throat> excuse me, for many vegetarians and vegans. So when I heard that this was finally coming out, I was so excited. Um, but I'd love to start off first with talking about the biphasic diet in general, uh, and then we'll move into what the new vegetarian protocol is. Uh, the biphasic diet is the diet I followed with my um, original SIBO treatment. It's what I've written my cookbooks on, all of the SIBO cookbooks, and uh, I loved it. It was such a perfect diet for me, and I often say to my coaching clients, if you like rules and regulations and lists and structure, this is the diet for you. I am that person, and uh, so Narala, thank you for doing all of that work, turning uh, the um, more general SIBO diet information into a very structured format because for people like me, it's perfect. Absolutely. It's great to hear it's been so successful and it's been downloaded at, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of times uh, worldwide now. So it is a great tool. And um, when I first set out and, and wrote it, it was, it was really structured for practitioners to kind of wrap their head around uh, phase one and phase two and not overwhelming patients with way too many supplements um, from the get-go. So it was really that that was the impetus for me. And also there was just 
And I just needed something, as you mentioned, that it was a lot more structured because I find that that people are already overwhelmed with the diagnosis. They don't really know um, all the ins and outs. And to have really very structured dietary recommendations was really helpful for, for my patients. So I thought I'd share it with the world. And yeah, so we're getting amazing feedback from people all over the place that have um, implemented the diet and, and sometimes use it also as a reset diet, you know? So, so it's been, it's been a really good experience overall. And if we talk about the, as the name suggests, biphasic, which means two parts, there's two parts to the diet, phase one and phase two. Talk us through what phase one entails. So phase one of the biphasic diet aims to remove, um, almost all fermentable carbohydrates and have it at a very low amount so that you're already reducing bacterial activity. Um, So when you think about SIBO being a bacterial overgrowth that really thrives on fermented carbohydrates or fermentable carbohydrates or FODMAPs, um, and then you remove them, you, you just have this dramatic decrease in bacterial activity. You, don't, you can't cure SIBO with a diet alone, as we know, but it, it already helps to reduce symptoms and then makes phase two, which then introduces a few carbohydrates and is a little bit more generous, um, and then start your antimicrobials you're going to have less of a die-off as a result of already having had this very structured phase one. I also start things like um, digestive support in phase one and sometimes anti-inflammatories or immune support in phase one so that the patient is really prepared and primed for phase two, which then aims to remove bacteria further with antimicrobial herbs or antibiotics. Can somebody use antimicrobial herbs or antibiotics and do phase one at the same time? Yeah, sure. And again, it was it really is just a um, a diet that can be absolutely adjusted by practitioners as they see fit. It was more to just as a starting point, you know. But we know that people are very unique and very individual, so they have different needs. They have they may have different food intolerances or they may have already really restricted their diet for a long time. And so then starting out on phase one may not be appropriate. People may be able to start in phase two. So it's it was really just as a starting point for practitioners, for people that maybe have just been newly diagnosed or are have never done any kind of dietary restrictions for their IBS and SIBO symptoms. When I was put onto the SIBO diet, your biphasic diet, by my naturopath, Natalie Crutterden, um, it was the first time in years that I had relief from my digestive symptoms. It was challenging because I was already quite restricted with my food and then I pulled more food out and I am such a foodie and I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? But within days, I was feeling so much better and within a couple of weeks, I felt like a brand new person. And so for me, the uh, benefits definitely outweighed the temporary restriction with certain foods. Uh, so thank you for that, because it was it was a real hallelujah moment for me. Um, how long should people stay uh, on the biphasic diet or even within each of the two phases? So typically each phase is about, um, well, phase one can be anywhere between two to four weeks. I usually just, like the way I do it, let's say I have a new patient that comes in and we're suspecting SIBO. This is, of course, um, hardly the case anymore because I don't see, A, I don't see new patients and certainly not people that have just uh, very easy cases. I see mostly very difficult cases at this point. So But let's say a practitioner has a patient coming in, they suspect SIBO, they order the breath test, and whilst they wait for the test results, they can start phase one. Then when the test result comes back, usually that's about two to three weeks, um, and they're positive, they can then move into phase two. So it really um, can be adjusted quite well. Typically in phase one, because we have two phases in phase one, which is restricted and semi-restricted, there is some movement that the patient can do themselves in terms of um, as soon as symptoms improve, they can go into the semi-restricted phase, which is a little bit more generous with foods as well. But phase two 
is also used as the maintenance phase. So that can be about three months or so. We do not advocate that anyone stay on a low FODMAP or low fermentable carbohydrate diet indefinitely because you will have microbiome changes that may not be very healthy. So in the long run, we do aim to restore a person's diet to be as diverse as possible, really. What do you do in the situation where the, because you do see more complex patients, you would see more of these people where they're stuck. They might be stuck in phase one and they really struggle to reintroduce additional foods or move into phase two. Every time they try a new food, they're having those, you know, intense symptoms. They're quite nervous and scared about it and, and they don't want to go any further because they feel they can't. What, what do you do with them? You know, and um, this is something that I've discussed with other colleagues. And what we're finding is that really working with the nervous system is key. These people are typically very anxious. And there is this general overriding sense of um, anxiety. And, and I'm not saying that that these people are pathologically anxious. It's just that something happened to their nervous system that's been um, activated and there is a lot of reactivity on not just food levels, but also nervous system um, involvement. And that can, can just mean that um, somebody's been, has had a lot of stress, for example, the diet itself and food reactions themselves are very stressful. So I'm certainly not saying it's all in their mind, but there is some, some element of fight or flight uh, which is part of the autonomic nervous system or sympathetic nervous system that's just been on um, overdrive. And so what I do a lot of is working with the nervous system, and that can be done with herbs, that can be done with um, emotional freedom technique, that can be done with different types of ther therapies, hypnotherapy, um, you know, Heidi Turner, uh, we, we just were on your podcast together, we actually had a conversation about this, in terms of limbic system, uh, you know, nervous system retraining, there's all sorts of brain retraining that is coming out these days that looks really promising. And again, I'm not saying that this is all in people's heads. This is a very real and scary thing for people when they're very reactive. But it is something that I find um, is absolutely key when people are super reactive to everything is to include working with the nervous system. What, what about you, Anne? Uh, absolutely. Um, I actually have found heart math helpful. Mm. I have found, you know, just um, assisting people in looking at what the food reactions are and how they sit in their body and get them to recognize what is a reaction of just adding a new food and what is a true reaction they need to be more concerned about and start to separate that. Mm -hmm. And the other the other issue here with multiple food reactions is that very often I've mentioned this um, a lot in, in different podcasts is that people have painted themselves into a corner by reducing their foods to just three or three to five foods. And any sort of reintroduction of anything would be would cause a reaction, um, you know, in terms of if you've only had chicken and carrots and then you add rice to it, well, you're starting to feed certain bacteria. And that's not necessarily pathological. That is just a microbiome that's been really limited, um, sort of branching out a little bit. So oftentimes I tell my patients, you know, you can expect a reaction. Um, it, we don't want a severe reaction. We just want, you know, but, it, but it's not unusual. And so very often that also um, gives them a sense of this is normal in terms of food reading. I think that's really important to um, to remind people that it's some symptoms are okay. I know when I was going from phase one to phase two of the biphasic diet and there were a couple of foods that I really struggled with with the reintroduction and I, the moment I'd get the tiniest hint of a symptom, I would freak out because I was like, oh my gosh, my SIBO has come back. And I'd get really scared and nervous about it. And I finally got into phase two. And I tell you what, when you go to phase two, it's like, 
you've just gone through the pearly gates. It's heaven on earth because you can have all this new food and it's exciting. And uh, but but then phase two became my norm. And when it came time for me to broaden even further from that, I was really nervous about it. Um, I was very anxious around, well, what's going to happen if I have a symptom? Does that mean my SIBO has returned? And my naturopath had to really coach me on Rebecca, it's okay for you to go and try these new foods. I want you to go and try these new foods. I want you to try uh, eating some, you know, she's. I was going to France and she said, I want you to try some cheese in France. And if you want to try uh, some baguette, try it, see what happens. And it was very nerve wracking at that time. Um, so I think it's really great that you're you're both saying some symptoms are okay. What what would be considered an okay symptom versus a full blown reaction? Well, you know, I mean, I will I will just say that some people really do have food sensitivities. Mm, like egg is a big one, right? Yeah, big. I'd say egg is probably the number one food reaction we see, and that's an immune like that involves actual immune reactions, things like that. So. So there are things that that um, certain foods can elicit certain symptoms, like with egg, if somebody has an allergy to egg, I think the number one symptom that I see with that would be nausea and fatigue. Um, so that's really classic with egg allergy. So if you all of a sudden have phase, you know, if you're going on the biphasic diet and you're eating tons of eggs and you have a lot of nausea and a lot of fatigue... Um, that may just be an egg allergy that was hidden for a long time. So that also occurs. Um, but what were you going to say? Anne, well, one of, of the one of the things I've noticed is people go to reintroduce foods and then they'll eat way too much mm-hmm. of something they haven't eaten in a long time. So it's really just trying but being aware of you might start with two mouthfuls and mm-hmm. and allow your digestive system to adjust because if you have bacteria that's been wishing you would eat just a few fermentable carbohydrates, there is going to be some mild fermentation. And that fermentation might be just a, a slight feeling of fullness, but there should be no pain, no um, extreme discomfort in the abdominal area, just a little sense of extra fullness, maybe a mild bloating. But that's not uncommon when you start to get that microbiome refed that normal microbiome the normal microbiome yeah Yeah, the great point I I went out and wanted to eat everything in sight when I finally gave myself the permission and it's a really great reminder that slow and steady wins the race and uh, you know one of my foods that I used to eat all the time when I was vegetarian were lentils and legumes so uh, chickpeas and all the varieties of lentils I absolutely loved them and they've been one of my most challenging foods even to this point in time to reintroduce I was um, under the care of of the wonderful Dr. Jason Horolek uh, when we were looking at my microbiome diversity and he said, Rebecca, a tablespoon is all you need to start with. If that's too much, try a teaspoon. And I'm like, Jason, I'm not going to go to the, all the effort of cooking lentils just for a teaspoon. And he mm-hmm. said, but think about it, Rebecca, you start at a teaspoon and you'll build your way up over time. Don't expect your gut, having not eaten lentils for years now, to be able to go and eat an entire bowl of dal. You're asking too much of it. Start small. And I was like, yeah, he's so right. I was just going too hard and heavy with my lentils and my legumes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just nice to, um, you know, if you're making a chicken soup or something, you can just throw um, a tablespoon of, of, you know, dal lentils into the stew. And so that, that way you just have a whole tablespoon for the whole pot. So, you know, um, that's also another way of slowly increasing, uh, you know, the, the, the amounts. But the other thing about lentils, you know, and this is Anne can talk about this a bit more because we, that was really the basis of our uh, biphasic diet, the vegetarian biphasic diet. And it was really, really important for us that it wasn't going to be just a diet like the the biphasic diet and just remove the meat. It wasn't going to be that. And um, myself and Anne both have been vegetarians um, in previous years. So we, we 
really wanted to offer something to vegetarians that wasn't just rice and vegetables. Um, so, and Anne really uh, looked into the research a lot more and she can talk about the, the whole aspect of improving protein content with sprouting, etc. But lentils and legumes are a big part of this new diet. And the way that they become more digestible is through sprouting. So typically with lentils and legumes, they have a really tough outer cellulose kind of um, coating. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people lack the enzyme to break through with that. And that's why proper cooking and mastication or chewing is mm -hmm. so important and to slowly build up your enzyme of that. But inside the, the legume and the, the lentil is something called raffinose and stachios and these different sugars or carbohydrates that um, are very gas forming. And that really is what's diminished when you're sprouting. And I'd love to hear about the soaking and sprouting of grains and legumes, because this is an exciting part of this new vegetarian biphasic diet. Absolutely. Look, soaking and sprouting, they're ancient techniques. And then the New Age grabbed it and it's called activating your grains. Um, and now science has taken us quite seriously. And, and there are studies, you know, uh, Monash University has done some work to see if they can add some sprouted and soaked uh, legumes and grains into the FODMAP app. So, you know, it's been around for a long time. It is a wonderful way of increasing nutrition and improving digestibility. Now, the science sort of steps in and says, well, actually, certain legumes, uh, when you soak them and you sprout them, both separate techniques, because you can just soak and cook, or you can sprout and cook, um, diminish a lot of those things that you know we consider anti-nutrients. Um, lectins are lowered significantly. And this is shown in, oh, I think I found about six studies, lectins, um, oxalates, I think, oxalates reduced. Um, and even in one study, they noted that some of the salicylate level was lowered as well, which I started going, that's an interesting concept. But they also looked at the fact that it increased the availability of the amino acids. And it, for example, lentils, when you sprouted lentils, they became a complete protein. So the cysteine and methionine were added back during the sprouting process and completed the eight essential amino acids. So, you know, there's so many benefits to nutrition, but also the lowering of those fermentable uh, carbohydrates. Raffinose was decreased in two of the studies by 96%. That's huge. Makes sense. Like when you think about like a plant, you know, a plant wanting, uh, like reaching towards the light and it uses mainly carbohydrates to germinate. And so, you know, that's really, that's really what we're talking about here. But the one legume that is excluded from all of this, I think all of them were included, including things like black turtle beans, yeah. right? except chickpeas. So chickpeas are still a no-go. They're a no-go, and in fact, it increases the, the FODMAP rating in the FODMAP app under, you know, so chickpeas, garbanzo beans, depending on where you're listening, um, continue to be off the list. Oh, I do love a chickpea. <laughs> so for someone who's listening who's never soaked or sprouted a grain before, they might be thinking, what on earth am I supposed to do? Can you talk us through how you soak and sprout grains and lentils? I thoroughly encourage everyone for their first outing, start with soaking. <laughs> so much easier. So an example being is you might wake up in the morning, you throw your, uh, your grain or your legume into a bowl, you add the acidic medium of either a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar or lemon juice, and you throw the water over it, cover it with a tea towel, come back at dinner, rinse it, and the cooking time is about 10 to 15 minutes. So it almost takes these grains and legumes to fast food category. Um, and so it's a simple procedure. Now, for those of you who are going, ooh, apple cider vinegar, do I need to worry? Once you rinse 
the grain or legume at the end of the day, the apple cider vinegar is gone. It's done its job. It is rinsed completely off. And then you put that soaked grain into a pan, cover it with fresh water to do your cooking. So the apple cider is not an issue uh, in the long run. And what's the use of, why do you add apple cider vinegar or lemon juice to it? What's that doing? Well, what that's do, what's happening there is in the studies, they used um, three acidic mediums. One was apple cider vinegar, one was lemon juice, and one was just a chemical acidic medium. We don't want to encourage that one. And what it did do is it started to um, change the basic chemistry of the grain to allow some of those fibers to break open. Um, and those fibers are, we don't need to go into the chemistry, but it's a part of that structure of plant. And so it breaks open those uh, cellulose bonds to allow some of those chemicals to release into the water. And they found that to be more effective than just soaking in plain water. I would also add soaking um, is just make sure you cover it, your grain or legume with plenty of water because mm -hmm. it does absorb, like especially with rice and stuff or, um, you know, other types of legumes, they can swell quite, quite a lot. And so you do need to have plenty of water to cover, especially like black beans. You know? Absolutely. So, yep. so, and I find I, I still cook mine a lot longer than 10 or 15 minutes. Like you have mm. to make sure, especially with legumes, that they're really, really, really soft, mm -hmm. or you will have some gut discomfort. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. Mm -hmm. It's the grains that are going to shorten their cooking time, but your mm -hmm. legumes, you will still, in the study, the, the soaking time for legumes was quite different from grains. So thanks for clarifying that. Mm -hmm. When you're soaking your legumes, you need to soak them for, and the studies actually went from, 24 to 48 to 72 hours and they found that when you hit that 48 to 72 hours with uh, the legumes it improved uh, the release of this chemistry the the FODMAPs and improved the digestibility um, but it did also include cooking times so once you've done your soaking you still it is still suggested that at a moderate temperature for four hours was the sweet spot for really getting the digestibility um, to a really good level. Mm. Mm. So pressure cook. Pressure cook, but you know, lower longer or moderate, but cooking high temp mm. short time was the least desirable mm. cooking method. And in the, uh, you know, in the handout uh, or the, we should really say it's like a, an ebook. The ebook Labor of Love that we did, the Vegetarian <laughs> Biphasic Diet. It's like 12 pages. Um, there's a lot of instructions on how to soak and sprout. Wonderful. And, and I do encourage everybody to head to the show notes from today's episode where I've got the link where you can then go and uh, and get your copy of the Vegetarian Biphasic Diet. So that's all about soaking um, your grains and legumes. And, and that's easy. I could very easily see how I could put that on in the put that in a bowl in the morning, go about my day and then come home and cook of an evening. Um, but let's talk about sprouting. What do I need to do to start sprouting my grains and legumes? That's a good question, hey? I've got loads more just like this coming up after this break. We'll be back in a moment. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. But let's talk about sprouting. What do I need to do to start sprouting my grains and legumes? 
Absolutely. Look, I'm really passionate about sprouting because back in the early 1980s, I had a sprouting business and supplied sprouts to restaurants. So it, it's something that I, I have always uh, been passionate about. But sprouting is not uh, as hard as most people think. You just need a really good sized jar with a screen on the top. You can buy jars that are made for sprouting and you just soak. Or you can just punch holes in the lid. That's exactly right. Or you can use um, cheesecloth or muslin. There's so many easy. And you look, there are lots of ways to sprout. But it's essentially similar in that you soak your legume. Or Let's start with legumes. You soak your legume for uh, about 12 to 24 hours, depending on the uh, legume you're using. Lentils, 12 hours. You know, black beans are going to be more uh, 24 to get a really good outcome. And then you rinse them really well, leave them on the drain, and you rinse them two to three times a day. Lentils will actually sprout within probably 12 to 48 hours. And you will get a little tail that's just a little bit longer than the width of the lentil. Now, you can actually cook it at that point, or you can continue to grow it to a longer length. But the research in getting it to that really good FODMAP safe is just that, you know, 48 hour sprout for lentils. Now, when you get to beans, um, if you're talking about uh, mung beans, adzuki beans, black beans, you can even sprout lima beans. Um, that's going to be closer to the 48 to 72 hour sprout time because of the size of that legume. They're still just as easy. If you're in a warm climate, if it's summer where you are, you need to rinse your sprouts probably four times a day to make sure that you don't get any mold or or, um, uh, or rotting uh, due to the temperature. If you're in a cooler climate, three times a day is fine. Um, but once you get these grains sprouted, cook them, or you can actually uh, sprout them and they will keep in the refrigerator for very safely for up to three days. Um, but you can cook them, you can store them in the fridge, you can package them up and freeze them to pull down at another time. You know, it, it's not as onerous as it, it actually seems. You don't need to be a kitchen goddess to be able to sprout those things that we might use uh, in the vegetarian biphasic diet. I would add to this just because I like it really easy. So if you have a, you know, let's say you have one of those really big coconut oil jars, you know, um, and you've used it, you've washed it, you can punch holes in the top of the lid, you put maybe, I'd say, no more than a cup of uh, lentils, like raw lentils, uh, and you can soak even in that, so you kind of fill the jar up with water, and you have your lentils in there, you can soak overnight, um, then you drain them, the next day, you rinse them, you just open the lid, rinse it, and then uh, you can tip the jar now. I put it on my dish rack at an angle so that all the water drains out and I put a tea towel over it. And so the, the, the lentils are in there still wet, but the water's drained out and it's at an angle. And that's the easiest way that I know how to sprout. Mm -hmm. And after probably a day or two, you have like half a jar to a jar of lentil sprouts, depending on the, the temperature. Mm -hmm. I like that tip. <laughs> and what's the benefit of adding the sprouting? So we've soaked the grain and you talked about the benefit of doing that. What's the additional benefit of, of, of a sprouted grain or legume? Well, the sprouting is where you really turn off uh, the trypsin inhibitors. You really increase the, um, the protein index of the grain so that for anyone who is vegan, um, it just increases the amount of amino acids and the bioavailability of those amino acids um, while further reducing the starch content of the legume. That's actually the crucial point mm. is that without sprouting, you and even if it's just soaked, you may have gotten ridden, rid of the some lectins and some oxalates, but you still have the carbohydrate content of that legume or grain. The sprouting really is the magic of all of this. 
without the sprouting, we would not be looking at a low car- uh, fermentable carbohydrate food. Mm. This is so exciting. I know that if I had still been vegetarian when uh, this came out, I would have been so excited by it. Although maybe I would have been a little bit overwhelmed at the thought of soaking and sprouting and all the rest. Um, Are there any uh, tips for people to get started? Is there a grain or a legume that is just hands down the easiest to deal with when you first get going? Lentils. Lentils are so easy. Brown, yeah. like regular old brown lentils. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they're also really nice to eat sprouted raw. So that's the other. You can make a salad. You can put olive oil and lemon juice and some basil in there. Um, your sprouted lentil salad. And it is a completely different experience from eating lentil soup. And I have to say to you, mung beans. I find mung beans just almost as easy Mm. as uh, working with lentils because to make a beautiful sprouted mung dal is just so delicious. Um, And sprouted mung dal is not the traditional, like when we think of mung bean sprouts, we think of the great big, long, lovely white sprouts that we use in, you know, Asian cooking. But when you sprout the mung beans almost as quick as a lentil and for people who may find, you know, they're a little bit nervous about trying lentils from their previous experiences, mung beans can also be a nice, simple introduction to adding a a legume back. And then in terms of grains, it's pretty much anything, um, you know, any, I mean, I'd say I'd still probably be somewhat careful. Like I think our phase one, we're still pretty careful with some things like brown rice. Mm-hmm. Um, but then later on, you know, we can we can start to introduce some of these foods um, a little bit more liberally. But I'd start with with rice and with things like quinoa. Um, they're very easy to cook. Absolutely. And quinoa sprouts in 48 hours. And it just, if anyone has cooked quinoa, you know how quinoa sort of pops that little, it looks like a little tail that pops out when you cook the quinoa, a sprout looks very similar. Mm. You don't really need to do much to it. And then when you cook it, it just is so, so easy on the digestive tract. Have you Mm. seen anything with quinoa? Um, So I have a really, really bad intolerance to quinoa. I have excruciating gut pain, nausea. Uh, Last time I accidentally ate quinoa, it was in a packaged food silly me for not checking the labels that I got an aeroplane where they said here you go Miss Coombs here's our gluten-free option for you and I ate it and once I was getting off the plane I thought oh my gosh that feels like a quinoa sensation and I still had the wrapper and I checked and I was like oh no I've eaten quinoa and I ended up vomiting for hours and was writhing around in pain um have you seen a quinoa, uh, those kind of sensitivities to quinoa, which I'm assuming is from the sapoan on the quinoa, reduce once soaking and sprouting occurs? Uh, let's be really, really clear. Uh, soaking and sprouting will not make these foods safe for individuals that have true allergies to that plant or that, um, or that food substance. Um, so it's not. this does not replace being careful with foods that you have known reactions to. Great point. I'm not going to try it with quinoa. I don't feel <laughs> like me. Do you may find buckwheat another simple option if you tolerate buckwheat. I do. Yeah, buckwheat and I are friends. Um, a question I had from one of my audience was her concern around arsenic levels in rice and she was worried about eating a lot of rice uh, with this protocol and are there should she be worried about arsenic in rice? Well, first of all, this is not any more rice than the regular biphasic diet, right? So the regular biphasic diet also allows rice and the trick with getting the arsenic down is both soaking but also cooking in a lot of water. So not the absorptive method, but um, you know the, the cook and drain method it gets rid of almost all the arsenic. Mm-hmm. And it arsenic is, it's, it's basically a soil substance in certain parts of the world. It's not um, everywhere, but it is, you know, obviously you want to get organic, um, organically grown rice uh, that's been around for that, um, that grower has been around for a while because it's traditionally really high in 
areas where a lot of um, pesticides are being used. Mm. That's a great point around going for organic uh, wherever possible. Um, in terms of other protein sources, what are there? What are the other options available on the new vegetarian biphasic diet? Well, it's like vegan and vegetarian, right? So we have eggs for vegetarians, um, and also soy products are also allowed. And I'll let Anne talk a bit more about soy. I know there's like, especially in Australia, there seems to be a lot of concern about soy. And I'm here to tell you that a lot of these fears are unfounded. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe I'll let Anne talk about that first. Do you want to talk about soy and things like that? Well, actually, soy was uh, one of the legumes that in in several of the studies, and soaking um, improves digestibility. So Soaking of soybeans can actually improve digestibility and the process of creating tempeh and tofu takes it that one step further. The FODMAPs were lowered. The interesting thing is the studies also went into um, you lose amino acids when you sprout soybeans. So the optimal method within getting optimal digestibility is the soaking and the mild fermentation that goes with um, tempeh. Mm. Um, but, you know, we're, we're also not advocating that you eat a liter of, you know, drink a liter of soy milk a day or eat large quantities of soy, but a small amount of soy is a healthy contribution to not only your protein intake, but so many other healthy aspects as well and what we know about like so my my whole thing on soy i was really you know when i first moved to australia and i started educating practitioners on different topics and then moved into SIBO but it was like i was really amazed at how anti-soy the australian Mm -hmm. practitioner is when we have a lot of data on soy as a really healthy addition to people's diets um, especially around the issue of estrogen dominance and um, hormonal issues. So, you know, that that whole concern uh, in my book is, is, you know, warrants a whole other uh, level of discussion. But but really, in essence, we're, we're saying uh, non-GMO organic soy um, is also, you know, can also be used in this particular diet. And what we know, well, what I know in my research and and part of my lectures on hydrogen sulfide and methane, both in, in those people that actually can convert soy isoflavones into something called equal because they have the right components in their microbiome, they actually have um, can use soy isoflavones to reduce hydrogen sulfide as well as methane. So that was the other kind of... Um, thing that really cinched it for me that soy has a place in in this diet we could do a whole podcast episode around that in particular um i'd like to also ask you around um you do include a protein powder um do you have a brand uh, or a type that you think is better suited for the SIBO person or can they go out and use any protein powder we really should have shares in this particular so. protein powder because we <laughs> recommend it so much, and we really well, we don't sell pro. We you know we don't um, have a product line that we promote. We just we try products and we recommend them if we like them. And so the one that we have recommended for a long time is the New Zest uh, Clean Lean Protein. That's golden European golden pea, and it has a very particular process. Um, of extraction uh, that's chemical free, which not all golden pea is. So, so that particular one mm-hmm. is good. But when you're looking at a label, really what you're looking at is a very low carbohydrate content and a very low fiber content. Less than I, I prefer it less than two grams of fiber mm-hmm. per serve. Um, and then it's just trial and error. But if you have a hemp protein, you know, hemp tends to be a little higher in fiber. So I love hemp, but it doesn't, uh, is not suitable for some. But so that's what you're looking at. So you're looking at the fiber and the carbohydrate content. Fantastic. Um, what about the people who are like me and they would like to increase their plant-based um 
nutrition, decrease the amount of animal protein they're eating, can people combine the original biphasic diet with the vegetarian biphasic diet and eat some animal protein and some tofu and tempeh and uh, protein shakes? Uh, is, there, is there any damage in, in combining the two? No, you can mix and match. You can, you can absolutely do that. And one thing that we want to be clear on mm-hmm. is that um, we're beta testing this, te- this diet, right? Meaning that we, you know, we haven't tried this on thousands of people yet. Um, whereas the biphasic diet really was um, based on mm-hmm. low FODMAP and other aspects. We knew it was working already. I knew it was working already. And for me, it was just about the structure of it. But this one, it's based on research. So we say say theoretically, it should work on all vegetarians Mm. and non-vegetarians that have SIBO. But we really ask people to give us feedback. You know, if you you are trying this diet, it's a free download. um, Please try it out and give us feedback, positive or negative, because we are... Um, we don't know how it's going for you. Theoretically, it should work. Um, it's working for our patients beautifully, but please let us know. And when you do sign up for the um, vegetarian biphasic diet, you will receive an email. And so I'd imagine people can just hit reply to that email and, and give you any feedback as they feel fit to do so. Yes, you could, or just go to, I think it's info at SIBO doctor, but it's, yeah, that's, that's it. We don't actually inundate our, our signups or opt-ins with emails, believe it or not. <laughs> so we, we, um, if you can still, you got to try it out. If you can still find that email in your inbox, then, um, then please give us that feedback. Yes. It's really great that you don't bombard people with emails. Some people do, and uh, and it's nice that you're not in our inbox every second of every day. <laughs> I know. I uh, I probably should be doing more of that, but but actually, on the handout itself, it gives you like the you know the sibodoctor.com website, and you just hit contact us. We really, honestly please give us feedback on this diet because we we need to know how it's working out there. Well, there you go, everybody. You've got Narala's uh, request. Give her feedback. And uh, you've also got your Facebook group, SIBO Lifestyle. So if people uh, are in that group or want to follow you in that group, I'll add the link. The link is in the show notes. And uh, and I'd imagine people could give feedback in that Facebook group as well. Please. That's wonderful. Thanks, Rebecca. I was going to say, and as we get more information back and you know, feedback from people, you know, this kind of opens up a whole new frontier for, you know, therapeutic diets and how we can approach healing the gut and improving nutrition across the board. Mm. And then, I, you know, one of the other things I didn't mention about mixing and matching is that um, I'm definitely, people that have been on the biphasic diet for a long time, I will definitely give, you know, I give them these instructions. And it's, it's interesting to see their reactions because again, they have, even though it's the biphasic diet and it's pretty generous, but they have had restricted diets for a while, even adding in um, substances and and the sprouted grains and the sprouted and cooked lentils, even there, sometimes people can have slight reactions, right? So again, it's an, it's an example of how you're just expanding your microbiome with foods that the microbiome hasn't seen for a while. So even there, we say start slowly and Mm -hmm. and introduce it um, rather than just full hog going into any kind of food that you haven't had in a long time. I actually encourage patients when we start moving from um, the the stricter diets to maybe just start with one meat-free day and add these new foods. If you tolerate that, move to two days a week allow your biome to, or allow your digestive tract to see these foods, respond to them, and come back to them a few days Mm. later. And you'll find good success with slowly introducing in that way. Mm. But, you know, some people do miss the enzyme. They Mm -hmm. miss the enzyme to break down that tough cellulose outer coating that usually 
is done by an en enzyme called alpha-galactosidase. Mm -hmm. And you can actually get that in a product, especially if you live in America. It's called Beano. So if you find that you, you just continue to have issues with beans and legumes, this may be a good option for you. you know? So in other words, if you're still reacting and um, you wonder if it's you know, bacteria or just your maldigestion, you can try this enzyme. And if you get relief, that's great because that's not a, a SIBO reaction. And how do you spell that product? Beano. It's like bean with an O at the end. <laughs> oh, right. B-E-A-N-O. Correct. Yes. Oh, That's in America. It's in America. Sadly, we don't have that. I think it's in certain enzyme products, but what I like about this, it's a chewable. So you chew it at the beginning of the meal if you have a lot of lentils and, and legumes. Wow. Well, next time I'm in the States, I'm going to go get me some of that because that might be part of my issue with the legumes and lentils. But I'm going to start soaking and sprouting first. Um, to finish up, a question that I get asked often is, how do I keep my weight on? How do I get enough calories in? How do I stop the unwanted weight loss? Um, and there are some people who are worried that by pulling the animal protein out and moving more plant-based that they might lose even more weight. Are you seeing any of those issues with your vegetarian or vegan patients who are following this new vegetarian biphasic diet? Uh, well, weight loss with a restricted diet across the board is attributed to not eating enough energy to meet an individual's personal needs. So we're talking calories or kilojoules here. Um, so whether you're eating meat or you're being a vegetarian, when you're approaching this, I really encourage people to work with someone who can assist you in determining what your daily needs are and interpret that into what your portion sizes need to look like to get enough calories in your day. Just substituting, you know, vegetarian option for your your animal uh, protein options doesn't necessarily um, swap sideways I think that weight loss picture is more a uh, it's a bigger picture of are you getting enough energy to meet your needs in the day can it be met by the vegetarian biphasic diet absolutely but you may need a little bit of support with someone who can go you need to use you need to eat in a particular way with a particular amount and help get the help you need to um, calculate your kilojoules. You can actually keep your weight up on the original biphasic diet, but many people do lose weight because they misinterpret that as being a low calorie or low kilojoule diet. And it doesn't necessarily need to look like that. And typically, if you're increasing your starches and, you know, add a little extra oil, it's, you know, if anything, it's, mm. uh, you know, it's even better at keeping weight on than the original. Because I actually, mm. people that are prone to weight loss um, on high protein diet definitely lose weight with a biphasic yeah. diet, but less so on the vegetarian diet. And with regards to intermittent fasting, uh, the SIBO community um, has read widely around how we should space our meals, we should leave a good couple of hours between each meal to support the migrating motor complex. And I've had people contact me who are taking that to the extreme and perhaps are only eating one or two meals a day, but are dropping weight rapidly and then are very, very underweight. But they're worried that by eating, they're going to hinder the migrating motor complex, thus uh, continue with SIBO and they're scared to eat. Um, what should we be doing with intermittent fasting? Is it more important to keep weight on our frame or is it more important to fast or have big gaps between each meal? Well, if somebody loses uh, weight at a, at a rapid rate, rate that's unhealthy and they're underweight, this is not a good piece of advice for them. I, I don't find any problems with people fasting from, let's say they had their dinner at uh, six or seven, um, seven maybe, um, and they're, they're doing a 12-hour overnight fast. A lot of times, that, that often is enough for people. So, you know, it... It is, again, an example of, of generally how worried and fearful people are, can become when they uh, 
are not properly educated on what SIBO is and how to really manage that because maybe they're not getting the proper help from a practitioner or who knows what, or they're reading too much on the internet. If you're losing too much weight, you're taking it too far. That's, that's basically what I tell people. But most of the time I don't, you know, see any problems with people just having an overnight, like a 12 hour overnight fast, I think is sufficient. Fantastic. Dr. Narala Jacoby and Anne Kreiner, thank you for coming on to the Healthy Gut podcast today to talk about your new vegetarian biphasic diet. Uh, as I've said all along, you can get the link to download that um, new protocol from the show notes today. Um, there's also a huge amount of information on the SIBOdoctor.com. And if you'd like to do Dr. Jacoby's um, program, SIBO Success Plan, it's a great program to learn from her, um, all around her approach to treating SIBO. I've got a link for that in the show notes as well. I really encourage you to do that program um, if you'd like to know more about SIBO. Um, if anybody would like to reach out, connect with you now, Dr. Narala, you're not taking on new patients at the moment, but Anne, are you seeing patients? Oh, yes, I'm, I am <laughs> very busy clinically and very much available. She is a uh, fabulous practitioner. And those people, uh, you know, remember that she, her passion really is with nutrition. She's a naturopath, but also a nutritionist. And we do get a lot of people that just want to get um, the nutritional assessments, which is kind of just to find out what you um, are eating and um, how, how replete your diet really is nutritionally. So that's another really great thing that Anne does. I just thought I'd do a little plug here. She, we're both Thank working you. at the Biome Clinic, uh, the Center for Functional Digestive Disorders up here in northern New South Wales. It's beautiful up here. And I can attest to the work that you do. One of my very original SIBO coaching clients uh, has been working with you, Anne, in more recent times and oh, has lovely. been sharing with me the progress that she's been making. She has been that classic person that was really restricted, reacting to everything <laughs> and uh, was really limited in what she was eating. And um, through the work that she's been doing with you, she has been able to start expanding her food, but also she's feeling so much better. And it's been just a joy for me to watch how she's been making progress since she's been under your care. So thank you um, from oh, me uh, for the work you. you've done with her because um, she was really, it was a really tough gig for her for quite a long time. So it's been really great to see that life is starting to return to some kind of normal for her and um, and that she can feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel. I'm so glad I could be of help. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and gets a lot of well, thank you. fans on, on, uh, on our SIBO lifestyle. Lots as well. of emojis. <laughs> yeah. And I really do encourage all of my listeners that if the nutritional piece is something that you feel overwhelmed with or challenged by, do go and seek the support of somebody that understands SIBO and has that nutritional uh, education and experience. I myself have invested in seeing a nutritionist, even though I'm such a foodie. I don't, I haven't gone and studied nutrition at school. So it really is beneficial. Even if you just go for one session, just to, you know, have a conversation. I think it is a great investment in your health. Uh, because nutrition is such an important factor of our return to health. It's not just about taking the, the herbal antimicrobials or taking a round of antibiotics. We need to look holistically and our food is our life source and having somebody that understands how the gut works, understands SIBO and can give you some relief around trying to figure out the food all on your own, I think is a really great investment in your time and your hard-earned money. So I can't recommend doing that enough. Dr. Narala Jacoby and Anne Kreiner, thank you once again for coming on to the Healthy Gut podcast and talking all about the vegetarian biphasic diet. It's been a pleasure, Rebecca. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Rebecca. 
That was Dr. Narala Jacobi and Anne Kreiner talking all about the vegetarian SIBO biphasic diet. I'd love to know, after listening to that episode, are you considering going more plant-based? I definitely have been. I feel a lot better when I reduce my meat consumption and it's really great hearing how we can use some soy-based products and also soaking and sprouting some grains to add a little bit more bulk to our diet. So hit me up guys send me an email or or connect with me on instagram or facebook and let me know do you think you'll use the vegetarian SIBO biphasic diet now don't forget guys that you can also get the transcription from today's show just by becoming a member of the healthy gut podcast just head to thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast and sign up for free, which is great. You also get heaps of other awesome stuff by being a member. And then you'll get uh, transcriptions every week when a new episode airs. I look forward to seeing you next time. You've been listening to the Healthy Gut Podcast with your host, Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about the Healthy Gut or our podcast, head to thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast. We would like to thank Red Lemon Productions for the production and original music score of this podcast. To find out more about their services, head to redlemonproductions.com. The Healthy Gut Podcast is a production of The Healthy Gut. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.